0: to Enlighten Up, the Hilarapy podcast with Lizzie Allen and Karina Lauren. We take hard topics, throw them up in the air, and dissolve them with laughter. Each week, we feature a comedian from the Hilarapy course, and we discuss topics from their set, from sexual shame to getting older. We tackle it all with humor and heart.
1: Our goal is to awaken the masses, promote love, and increase connection by dissolving shame, all while making you laugh until you pee your pants. So let's enlighten up and
0: get started.
1: Here we are, still Hello. jingle jangling. We have a new rule. Hey, <laughs> it's Lizzie and Karina. Oats and Groats, right again. <laughs> Oats and Groats this episode 14. 14, wow. Yeah. And this is exciting. Yeah, we've we've instituted a new policy here
0: at Oats and Groats Co. No jewelry. <laughs> And I was wearing like all sorts of chains and whistles today. She's
1: she's like pulling off these bracelets. We hit record suddenly, like this
0: jingle jangle Christmas. (laughs) I was going to cut that out, but now you've made a joke out of it. We have to keep it in. What up? What up? How are you there in listener land? We just want you to know that we love you and we see you. Welcome to another brilliant episode of Enlighten Up the Hilarity Podcast. I had a nightmare last night.
1: You're having a mare?
0: I had a horrible mare last night. Tell. It was one of those dreams where you can't wake up, but you're (sighs) trying to wake up. And it was one of those spectre things, you know, so it was this man in the room, but the man had the head of a like Egyptian freaking something or other. And it was just looking at me. It was this like sort of demon thing. And I was willing myself to wake up. Absolutely terrifying. What does it mean, Joseph? There's a feeling of dread. Mm -hmm. Well, the Egyptian thing, I think we could get some clarity on. Like what? Was it the Egyptian god of Ra? You know, who was it? I don't know if it was anything in particular or anyone in particular, but it, the face morphed into this kind of creature, like a reptile, basically. So I don't know if it literally was Egyptian or whether it was reptilian kind of, you know, these entities and stuff that are around us anyway. Like, I believe it was actually there. Okay, let me ask you this. Have your reptilian fears been
1: triggered oh. by all this stuff going on? Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just that. It's like a that dread coming yeah. to show you, hey, I'm here and I'm triggered. Do yeah. something about it. Bring in the light. Bring yeah. in the
0: light. Mm-hmm. Mm, thanks for that, mate.
1: Yeah. The other thing I was going to say, really good tip, is if you're ever in that situation, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm, I'm touching her because I want her to get it down to her subconscious. If you're ever in a dream and you're like, I have to get out, you come up with like a safe word. It could just be, you could call my name. So you just shut your eyes really tight and you say, Karina. And then you go, when I open my eyes, I'm going to wake up. Karina, shut your eyes.
0: Boom. Wake up. Okay. I'm going to try that.
1: Yeah. Try it. My, I used to have a lot of, like, I used to have nightmares every night. And my mom gave me that tip. She said, just call my name, shut your eyes and say, when I open them, I'm going to wake up. And sometimes I'd have to do it like two to three times, but it would work. Mm -hmm. It's like Inception. You play the song. It's not really like inception, but mm. what's going down in Karina Town? Oh my gosh, you guys, I don't know. Okay, I don't know if we talked about this, but I've been like exhausted. And then I got, I found out I had anemia, which for those listeners out there that don't know, it basically means you don't have enough iron in your blood. So I was like exhausted every day. Well, I just got. The maximum dose of iron you can get as an iron transfusion, which means they inject it right into your blood, like uh, like an IV. Now you're Iron Man. I am Iron Man. I'm like, well, you saw me, night one. I was like eating a skittle off the ground. I'm like, I'm I'm fucking I'm invincible. I don't care. On the ground, people have been kicking it. Who cares?
0: Like, I'm ready to roll with life. Also, I want to just say that we have started our next Hilarapy Recovery Project course, and you are on it. Yeah. And we've had two sessions so far, and they have been so much fun. Just for you listeners out there, it's our Hilarapy course with um, people in long-term recovery, specifically because the aim is we're going to shine a light on the brilliant and beautiful recovery movement. So focusing on the solution, that there is a solution and lots of people are getting it. We're actually doing our first Hilaropy Recovery Project student, comedian, hilarapist today on the show from the last course, this is really cool people. This is
1: like taking comedy to a new level because everyone who's in these HRP courses is in some kind of long-term recovery. So they've done their work, um, and they're ready to go explore new heights basically is what I would say, because it's not like we're just going there and writing comedy. We're exploring those maybe dark crevices that are ready to have some light shone on them. Sean, shined, shone on them. Yeah. But what was really cool, I just wanted to share this, is that Lizzie's been talking about this eye gazing stuff that's going to go down. And I was like, eye gazing? Like, I don't want to stare into someone's eyes for six minutes. This sounds like a nightmare. It's a nightmare. I'm addicted. I did it once. I'm I'm hooked. I'm like, Shane, we're going to do six minutes of eye gazing. Because what happened was, I, I got paired up with someone that I didn't know. And at first we were like, this is going to be hard. How am I not going to laugh? Blah, blah, blah. So the first minute is kind of that awkwardness, like you get it out. And then the next four minutes was like, I was hallucinating. Like the person's face is changing and you're like, whoa, what is happening? This is so cool. And then the last minute, I I kid you not, I saw her as a little child and my heart almost started crying. Be- for how beautiful she was. Like I felt like this woman's mother looking at her as a child and having all the love in the world for her. But what's crazy is after she had the same experience. So I was like, wow, what a what a weird, like who would think, "Oh, I'm going to connect with someone on a deeper level just by staring into their eyes for mm. 6 minutes."
0: Yeah. It's one of these amazing I was like, an amazing (laughs) phenomenon. No, but it's one of these techniques or tools we use in the course on the second session. And looking into somebody's eyes and letting them look into ours is one of the most vulnerable things we can do. Because they say the eyes are a window to the soul. And yet, do you remember how many times you've been taught as a child not to stare? Yeah. How many times is it? Don't stare. Don't stare. It's like, don't look, don't look. There's yeah. So much you cut, like you, you look, I mean, just to look across a room and then catch someone's eyes and then so you look away, mu- yeah. you look away. So much information passes between eyes, right? So much. And I had this experience when I first did this eye gazing technique, which I did in another course years ago in my thirties. And I was just like, this is incredible. Yeah. Like, this is incredible because, yeah, that experience that we all had on, well, I didn't have it, I was. I was observing, wasn't I? I was facilitating this eye gazing experiment, but I, yeah, don't, I don't. I know it because
1: every <laughs> once in a while, I'd feel Lizzie's beady little eyes on me, and I'd be like, "Okay, now I have two sets of eyes on me." And sometimes Ellen would look three sets of eyes on me.
0: It is my responsibility to it's... scan the room, make sure are these people looking at each other? Uh, what? FYI, I do not have beady. I little know you don't. <laughs>
1: My eyes are full and lustrous. Okay, fine. Every once in a while, I'd feel your full owly eyes looking over. Um, but, but I think this is, listeners, my challenge to you this this session, this epi. Find someone, maybe not a stranger. Maybe start with someone you know, you know that you trust. I gaze for six minutes. Put on a song. Put on a song, like a real, depending on the mood. What mm-hmm. song did you guys, did you put on a song? Yeah, or was it silent? Yeah, just
0: meditation music on it. Yeah, put it. on
1: some meditation music. Get crazy
0: with it. Yeah. You just have to warn the person in advance to just kind of give it some reverence and, and hold space for one another because it, it can be quite, how did Shane, how did it go with Shane? Did he do it with you? Uh, he's... <laughs> He's way too busy, but he's going to do it. He's (laughs) going to do it. He's too
1: busy for six minutes. He's too busy busy for six (laughs) minutes, but I'm going to pin the man down. Yeah. Okay, pin him down and be like, hey, hold reverence for me, okay? Because shit's going (laughs) to... Yeah. (laughs) No, but I I do want to say, you saying that comment, you said something like, have hold reverence for one another, um, be respectful of the other person's experience. And that's what helped me because you know how selfless I am.
0: If it's about someone else, as soon as you know, you're in service, you just show up to the page. Absolutely. Our very own mother
1: Teresa right here. You know, you know why I give so much? (laughs) Because I heard the line, like
0: if If you give, give, you get a thousandfold return. So I was like, Oh shit,
1: I better start giving because I want to get thousandfold. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So today we have an incredible, I love this woman. I think you started a show with her. Your first HRP show started with Kate and I was immediately like, I need more Kate. Mm -hmm. You know, she left the audience wanting more, which is such
0: a beautiful, she's an incredible talent in Mm -hmm. the hilarious world in the hilarity stratosphere and i actually went to see her perform last weekend she and two others from the hilarity recovery project were performing over in north vancouver and we went over a few of us drove over and um, witnessed them and they had written more stuff and were just like showing up it was so cool even long into recovery even when we're living these wonderful productive lives we're so afraid to say it we're in you know we're addicts and alcoholics or whatever because of the stigma attached to it as soon as you let somebody in i mean you and me are quite incredibly open about our recovery we own our you know we get <laughs> but it was a process though it was a, right? process. It was a process yeah you're right yep. it, it was a process and and still is because some people just immediately sort of you know?
1: Oh yeah. I've definitely had people that I thought were going to be long-term friends that just disappeared after I said, Oh, I don't drink cause I'm in recovery. Um, and that's okay. Yeah. Like I, I, that doesn't bother me anymore today, but it was a process to get there. And I've learned over the years that m- by sharing my truth, um, people have come back to me and said, Hey, y- can you tell me how you did it? I need some help with blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, but what I really like about the hilarity Recovery Project is that um, if if any of you are listening and you ever have a chance to go watch one of these comedian showcases, I, they're brilliant. But also, what it really does is it it does truly shine a light on recovery because we hear so much in the news about the the epidemic around you know fentanyl and all and and overdose and addiction and there is a crisis. But on the other side of that, there are people who have come out of that darkness and they're in the light and they're doing their work and they're able to go on stage own not only own their story but laugh like we can truly laugh about some of the craziest things that we did because we're not doing them anymore like it's funny when you recover from it and can look back and go holy was i ever insane like i literally jumped off of a roof and i survived And today that's funny. It wasn't funny when you're in it. It's just depressing and sad and like people are worried about you all the time. But when you're out of it and you've recovered and you've shone a light and you're out there doing, you know, being, I guess, what could be described as a good citizen, (laughs) then the ripple effect is this positive motion forward. And I know that everyone leaves those shows feeling lifted up. Mm hmm whether they've had addiction issues or not, because usually everyone you talk to knows someone in their family, a friend a f- you know, some, someone who has had struggles with substances. Mm-hmm. So we're all in this together. Like let's all pull each other up and yeah. light
0: the world. Right. And of course the work is never over. And the Hilarity Recovery Project exists to take people a step further in their recoveries and step into more of who they are by taking these really deep therapeutic processes and spiritual processes and connective processes and marry that with the laughter and the creativity and the writing and the expression and the play, which is also incredibly therapeutic, to play together, to reclaim our innocence and stuff. And what I just love, so much about witnessing all of you guys doing your thing the last two sessions is the ease that people move between crying and laughter. The group can drop between their hearts and then into their playful sides. And it's so healthy. It's so healthy. Just finding that place where it's not a cover up or a protection to laugh. It's actually just joy and bubbling up of, of kind of freedom and light and it's just wild so without going on anymore please put your hands and your hearts together for Kate Hello White Rock
2: Everyone's having a good time I'm from Vancouver and it took me two goddamn hours to get here and I gotta say that is not the furthest I've gone for some White Rock means cocaine. (laughs) I am Kate, and I am most definitely an alcoholic. I realize I didn't need to tell all of you that just now, but uh, I also didn't need to tell my dental hygienist or the checkout bitch at Safeway, so... (laughs) Nowadays, telling people I'm an alcoholic comes as easily as telling every single person I meet that I love them. You see, in recovery, we're conditioned to love everybody. To counteract our old way of thinking was that everyone's a fucking idiot. (laughs) We taught to love everybody. There's also a strong emphasis on something called self love. And if you're anything like me, your mind instantly went to masturbation. <laughs> the counselors at treatment kept saying, Practice self love. You got to practice self love. I'm like, I've been doing that since I was 10. <laughs> You know, a lot of you might be thinking, what kind of a drunk was I? Was I a happy drunk? Was I an angry drunk? I'll tell you. I was a how the hell did I get to Pittsburgh drunk? I I took partying pretty seriously. I kind of wore it as my identity for a long time. I honestly thought that everybody would drink the way that I did if they had the talent and stamina to do so. (laughs) It was a real eye-opener in recovery when I realized not everyone aspired to drink all day and wake up each morning with a sense of impending doom. (laughs) Who knew? (laughs) The concept of partying hat did really change over the years for me, like as a kid it was movies and popcorn and some weird clown dude and then 15 years later it's just you and your buddy with a small bag of dope in your mom's basement. (laughs) Real good time. (laughs) Yeah, my morning routine has changed a lot. Uh, What it used to look like was, where am I? (laughs) Who the fuck's this guy? (laughs) It was like some very deranged game of Clue happening where I would be putting the pieces together like it was Kate with the blow down at the Roxy. (laughs) Always very interesting. Uh, yeah, nowadays I'm doing some pretty advanced uh, things like brushing my teeth. Yeah. <laughs> a little backstory for you all, uh, I had a pretty much identity crisis when I was 13. Uh, the Spice Girls posters came down and the Wu-Tang Clan poster went up. <laughs> It's all about scoring ganja and fishing for 40s in the nearby liquor store. I didn't really understand that a 13-year-old white girl from London, Ontario wasn't Tupac's target audience. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't doing very well in school. I wasn't good at math or English or trying. (laughs) But I was good at a couple things like uh, rolling blunts and hand jobs. <laughs> the guidance counselor always said, Find your strengths. <laughs> Fast forward a few years, and uh, I wound up in a career path that. This industry was known for turning a blind eye on substance substance abuse problems and also required little to no academic achievement. You got it, the restaurant industry. (laughs) Yeah, I gotta say, it was pretty hard some mornings nursing a raging hangover while being elbow deep in a bucket of raw chicken. (laughs) They'd they'd catch me just, like, lying on the floor of the walk-in fridge sweating out last night's debauchery, like... (laughs) Not food safe. <laughs> I started doing some really weird things to try to stay sober. I'd leave my phone and wallet at home so I would have no money and means of getting certain things. And uh, I'd even come to work dressed in my full-on chef's uniform because I thought I wouldn't go to the bar afterwards that way. So you'd find a 32-year-old cokehead scavenging through the staff room like some goddamn raccoon looking for some discarded clothing from a server, catch me at two o'clock on Gramble Street and Street on a, in some ill-fitting bejeweled halter top and my dirty kitchen clogs. Like, <laughs> still got laid. <laughs> It is amazing what we do, uh, thinking that guys really care about who they're going home with like it's 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 shocking how much effort we put in as young 22 year old girls like you're literally like the target demographic of people want that want to fuck you and you're like spending all this time like like self-consciously looking at what you're wearing and how you're grooming yourself and all this shit like i remember one time 3am getting the cab to pull over while my gentleman friend was liquored up beside so I could run in and grab a razor because I thought he wouldn't fuck me if I didn't shave my legs. (laughs) That guy couldn't even see straight. What am I doing? I paid an extra $10 for this cab ride. Anyway. I ended up in treatment. I hear some of you are there right now, right? Yeah. Well, if you didn't attend, I will tell you what you will find there. (laughs) Alcoholics, addicts, daddy issues, tramp stamps, and a whole lot of people single and ready to mingle. nothing gets a young girl excited that wants to get her life back together like a 45 year old crackhead fresh fresh out of prison with three kids by three different women but a very very inspiring tattoo across his chest that says hope he's so cute i think he's just misunderstood. (laughs) Three weeks in, you're making plans with your new best friend, aka aka your roommate, about how you got this thing, and you're going to get out of there and become drug and alcohol counselors and get an apartment together. Right? Right? Sounds pretty good, eh? like 3 a.m. in the local saloon planning on going to Hawaii and getting an apartment together. (laughs) Fast friends, we make fast friends. (laughs) I knew my life had really done a 180 when I found myself 10 months sober. I was cutting up strawberries with a bunch of seven-year-old women at an AA strawberry festival. I chuckled to myself thinking, one year ago, I was chopping rails with a bunch of 20-year-olds in a strip club bathroom. (laughs) Things really change in recovery. I am five years sober, and... uh, pretty amazing. I've got an excellent marriage. I started a business that I'm very proud of. I've got a lot of friends and I work with women in recovery. Literally pretty much everything I could ever hope for. But sometimes I put on a pair of jeans and they're a little bit tight and I think (laughs) Coke would fix this. (laughs) I do have a few vices uh, still, I gotta admit. Like uh, fresh cut flowers and scented room sprays. Pretty much uh, what you would call middle-aged white woman vices. (laughs) Hot gossip and comparing myself to everyone I see on social media. I'm really trying to cut back on that. I'm trying to control and enjoy my (laughs) self-loathing. Life is amazing. Uh, I am just so thankful for everything I've accomplished in sobriety, thankful for the people that uh, paved the way for me and and told me, like, how they got here. Uh, There's no way I would be able to be standing up here uh, talking about this shit if I knew, if I wasn't firmly, firmly convinced that the days of waking up in my own urine are behind me. It's a pretty good feeling, guys. I still hang around with predominantly alcoholics and addicts because they are funner than normal people. But the really great thing is they're not trying to fuck my husband and I'm not trying to rob them. They're sober, I'm sober, the world is a safer place. I hope you enjoy the rest of the performance. Have a great night.
0: Oh my God,
2: Kate. Well done. Yes. Yes.
0: Oh my God. We were laughing so much. I celebrate this set because I just love
1: it. I love everything about it. I love her owning her story. I love the way she
0: tells the story. Like it's just like a laugh a minute with this. Well done, Kate. Super proud of you. That was brilliant. So let's dive in. Let's. Uh, she brought up hundreds of big topics there.
1: Yeah, one thing that really struck me during Kate's set, in particular, is the sort of chaos and destruction and uncertainty that most of us have lived in 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 addiction that. Kind of goes away when we put the substances away, but also takes a shift and a conscious desire to change. But it got me thinking. Like it, it was something that she said. The contrast of you know um, chopping up rails. Okay, I don't know. Excuse, I, I'm not good yeah, at chopping coke up rails. terminology. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, chopping up rails at the. I never heard it like that. No, before. yeah, but. From that to a year later, chopping up strawberries. And that's what made me realize like some people have a hard time with, you know, you're living this life of uncertainty and chaos and destruction, but there's a certain power to it, right? It can seduction. Yes, a seduction. And so when you put that down, because it's like, hey, this is life or death, I need to stop doing this. People can miss that. Like they can miss the chaos, destruction, uncertainty, the the certain power that they get from it, because it's their mess, right? And now suddenly they're in a new mess, which is called sobriety. Feelings. Feelings. Yeah. <laughs> Feelings. Like, I mean, we've talked about it. I've talked with you about it, like probably the first four years, the amount of time I spent in sobriety curled up in a ball on the bathroom floor crying mm-hmm. because I didn't know how to cope. With feelings, what is embar, like it's embarrassing, but also it's my story and I own it. And I think I had to go through it to learn. But um, yeah, I really, for some reason, with Kate's set in particular, I really felt that that yeah, there's that craziness, like the stuff we do that when we're in addiction, we just justify, like we just, it's okay, this is okay now. You know, you draw you draw a line and you say I'm never going to do this, and then you do that, and you say oh, but it's okay. Because I had to do it, whatever whatever that is, right? And it's like, oh, waking up and not knowing where I am or what I did last night or who this person is beside me—that's okay. This is normal. Like we just sort of we just sort of justify it all, and then we put all of that behind us, and we live a quote unquote normal as we can
0: life. Well, alcohol and drugs is really good for that, isn't it? Because it's a kind of memory blaster as well. It's like. You kind of get the first drink into you, and boom, everything's fine again, you know. And then, mm-hmm. obviously, it just railroads at some point in the evening. Um, so, did did you miss the drama from your life when you got into recovery?
1: Um, yeah, kind of. Like I, I, I remember I have this very distinct memory of being uh, I'd been maybe two, three years sober, um, and. I had a like a kid in my arm, another kid was pulling me, I think a cat was running in, there was mail in my hands, grocery, like all everything that could be pulling me in four different directions was, and it was absolute chaos and I had opened the door and dogs flying, like shit was going all kinds of sideways. And I remember having this very distinct moment where I went, "God, I love this." Like it was like wow. this amazing realization that I kind of love it when things are just crazy,
0: you know, and and I, you know, and I totally relate to this as well. I totally relate to the excitement and the adventure of, of alcohol and drugs, you know, that you could start the evening somewhere and end up sort of with beautiful people doing beautiful things or just as you know, just as much sort of an ugly mess at the end of the day. Yeah, you think you're with beautiful people. Yeah, yeah, the fantasy. The fantasy, because the alcohol Mm -hmm. and the drugs does put the old, you know, the old Dutch goggles on. Yes. You know, and, and then, you know, pretty much you just completely fabricating reality in your own mind, right? You just, you think you're totally brilliant and cool, but you're actually like the most <laughs> unattractive mess ever. And the only other people that can get down with you are the people that are also in an absolute mess. So I, I, um, I kind of relate to that, definitely relate to that. But what you were saying about that drama and how, you know, you had this kind of almost light bulb moment of how you loved that kind of, the chaos, because in in that moment, which just sounds like, you know, you had several things pulling at your attention, you can't feel your stuff, right? Because the Mm. chaos actually does mask the stuff that scares us most, which is that darkness and shame that exists from those old wounds and conditioned, you know, habits and past stuff. But I was just thinking as you said that, that actually there's this other part to recovery that I found since you know the slow road right take the slow road um that actually that drama does exist but in the form of creativity and for us you and me comedy and performance and being seen and kind of stepping into this kind of arena of of magic if you will this kind of like because it it's also fairly dangerous that world of of putting yourself out there. I mean, the danger is perceived. It's not the same danger as stepping in the ring with a lion, but yeah. nonetheless, it, it invokes the fear and the possibility of rejection and loss and failure and all of that stuff that so often keeps us small. But in recovery, having recovery for me and you, and I see this in you as well. It's given us so much confidence and, um, Grounding to actually step into this almost the chaos of of, of showmanship or show business, right? Yeah. What do you think?
1: Yeah, yeah. I I agree, and I think there's people use substances of any kind and actually process addiction as well for different reasons. Like I, I was told a long time ago, our problem is lack of power, so we look for power through. Processes or substances, but for me, I was like I was always chasing bliss or numbness, like the the feeling of not caring. And you know, you've known me long enough to know that one of my defenses is I don't care. Like I'm going to put up a mask and I'm going to put up, uh, even telling myself and believing it that I act that I don't care. Mm-hmm. But that stuff stays in your body, right? And the care is going to come out eventually. And al- alcohol and drugs were great a great buddy, a great companion to be like, I don't care. Cause once you've had a few drinks or some, you know, a joint or something, you really don't care. Like, I don't care. Yeah. It's oh, just buffer. Are there people in my house? I don't, I don't, I don't who's serving. I don't care. I don't yeah. care if you guys are taken care of. I don't care what's happening with my husband, nothing. There is a buffer. And then I was always chasing that bliss. So I really, I have to say, and sorry, I'm probably not answering your question, but I do have to say, I really appreciated something Kate said, where she said, you know, I've been five years clean and sober, but every once in a while when my pants are tight, like I'll think, you know, Coke would solve this. And it's like, I hear people who have been in long-term recovery who say like, even if there was a pill and I got cured, I wouldn't pick up a drink. I wouldn't pick up a drug. (laughs) I was saying last night to my husband, I was like, if there was a cure and I could, or even just for a day, I could smoke pot all day, 100% I would do it. I, don't, I do not get like what people say, oh, I'd lose my connection with my higher power. You know, um, yeah, I get that. But if there was no consequences and I could have a day, I would. I absolutely would because um, I miss that feeling of, it's false. It's a false feeling and I know that. But I miss the feeling of just being like, ah. I don't care about anything. I'm in the
0: zone. Well, we, Maybe you, I should eye gaze all day long. Well, we call that euphoric recall, right? Yes. And you've got that, you know, and I and I occasionally get that euphoric recall. And the idea is that I, I believe or I project or I fantasize that just taking a pill, pressing the magic button, smoking up a fat one, whatever it is, right, will just put me in this place of Bliss. But when we play the tape forward, we also see that that moment of bliss is a window that is, uh, we are unable, we can look through and see a bit of bliss, but we cannot stay there because the very act of getting any kind of bliss from outside of yourself, including and not limited to drugs and alcohol and Whatever it is, like you know, affirmation through social media or mm, shopping one, yeah. or sex or, or relationships or whatever it is that people kind of get attached to, and we're and we're speaking to you, the listener out there, that there is nobody in this world that isn't in recoveries from some sort of attachment, um, because that's what we do as these physical beings is we attach to things, but this. The truth of recovery is, for me, is that that bliss, that mo- those moments of bliss, that is what peace is. That's peace and serenity. And I've been able to access, access that through a practice of sitting with myself, even through all the feelings, and learning over the years not to abandon myself just because I perceive somebody else has has
1: yeah actually I love that statement so much because that's the work I just did this last weekend where I felt like oh my god I'm a little bit enlightened now I I I did that I went through the process of like I made commitments to my um I've done some like inner child work but this was like inner teenager work oh yeah it was really cool actually and then I was like yeah I'm I'm your number one fan Like, I don't, it doesn't matter if other people acknowledge you, cheer for you, don't cheer for you, think you're fine. I think you're the best, like a mother would for its child. And it's like, I really genuinely feel it. Stuff has shifted. It's really cool. It's It's very cool. Well, yeah, because then you're free.
0: Yeah, you can go anywhere and you'll be fine because you're with your best friend.
1: I'm with, yeah, I'm with my super, I'm my super fan. So what? It doesn't matter. Yeah, the world's my oyster now, folks.
0: Yeah. So watch out! <laughs>
1: watch yeah. out!
0: Karina's fanning her own flame over yeah. here, and that goes self-love. <laughs> uh, you know, I
1: wouldn't have gotten there smoking joints every day. That's mm. for sure. I mean, I we all know where we were back in that time, and I just I again want to shout out to Kate because I do. I really appreciated the way she she told it in such a co- com- comedic, <laughs> comical. That's the word. Yeah. Comical way. But there's, I mean, it's so relatable when mm-hmm. you when you listen to the chaos and that destruct, even self destruction of addiction, and it's just like you know that desperation of when she just said like a raccoon like oh my swirling God,
0: that's around. My favorite <laughs> bit. That's my favorite bit. Oh God. It's, it's like, like, it's so
1: relatable because of that desperation. Yeah. It's of like, like the
0: control, right? I'm going to just go to work in my chef's uniform so that I don't go clubbing afterwards. And then I'm like a freaking raccoon going through other <laughs> dirty servers, clothes. And, and then I'm in an ill fitting bejeweled halter top. So my, desperate. My sticky like food clogs, clogs. <laughs> the clogs. I love that bit so much. It's so good. I mean, I mean, that right there that's addiction that that's
1: the perfect description of addiction is like I'm just gonna do these three things or this these things to control how I drank or what I drank or what I use where I go where I go <laughs> it never freaking works like if you're mm-hmm. an active addiction it's like okay sure maybe it worked one time but I don't know we've all been there so yeah yeah I bow down to Kate and anyone who's like owning their story and showing up in their in their power. It's
0: awesome. Can I just note how excited I am that we are into the Hilaropy Recovery Project phase of this podcast? Like, in essence, we should really be calling this season two, shouldn't we? Because this it's the is, beginning of another yeah. wave of people. Maybe surprise.
1: it's season two (laughs) oats and groats right again in season
0: two that's right welcome to season two of the therapy
1: yeah why not we can do anything we want oh yeah we just our podcast
0: yeah we did season
1: two (laughs) season two surprise (laughs) surprise
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh i'm so happy to see you karina it's such a joy such a joy And we're sitting and quite close today because on the last episode it felt like I was a little bit far away from the microphone Because I've got that kind of, you know, that kind of sexy voice And you know, I, and Karina's like, she's like, my voice is suited for the brothel And Karina's got more of a homestead kind of voice to keep the farm running Yellowstone
1: <laughs> Y'all get in now, get! Go on, get! <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah anyway so um yeah and and we have been eye gazing a bit too much haven't we during this because we're quite time. close and we're obsessed with it now we're obsessed with it <laughs> um no eye gazing fabulous thing but I just want to say yes Kate you are amazing thank you so much for showing up turning out and continuing to carry the message that recovery is alive and strong right beneath our noses if you or anyone you know are in um active addiction and wanting to find a way out, there is so much help. The first thing to do is say, I need help. Even if you say it out loud on your own in the park, in the wild, like a crazy person scrabbling around in the mud, just say, I need help and help will come in some form. It will come. And that I promise you facts. Okay. Well, lots of love, 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 and welcome to season two. (laughs) Kicking off.
1: Dear listeners, we are a two-woman shop here, and this is a little labour of love. So anything you can do to show us some love, our love language is subscribing, sharing on social media, and
0: coming to one of our many shows. And if you're feeling really adventurous, take a course. don't be afraid of a good time. We love you, we love you, we love you. We're out.